and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. And the Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Joining us on Sunday evening, a little earlier than normal since there's no evening game. We appreciate that. Sunday evening or afternoon on the West Coast because um, the, the two guys joining me on the West Coast, joining me from the Seattle suburbs is Kevin Pelton, the machine. Kevin Pelton, the machine. <laughs> I was going to say, because the, the people don't know who else is on this podcast, so I'll just wait. Uh, right. Pelton, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, joining us from the greater... Are you technically in the city of Los Angeles, Kevin? No, I, am, I, am in, I am in the city of Los Angeles. Right. You are. He, Kevin lives, I won't say where, but you are close to Dodger Stadium. Very, yes. So, and uh, happy that their traffic is not ruining your life during Dodger home games. This um, is a, this is a one silver lining, yes. <laughs> um, a lot of action in the NBA. I, I want to start with um, another remarkable performance by the Denver Nuggets, uh, coming back from 19 down to. Even the series, a second consecutive time, they have taken a series that is 3-1 and taken it to Game 7. They have won five consecutive elimination games, which is pretty much unheard of. Um, it's it's Maybe has been done before over multiple seasons. If they win a sixth consecutive, that is wild. Um, Arnovitz, they have pushed the Clippers to the brink. Um, I have some thoughts on this, but I, as somebody who's followed the Clippers for a very long time and uh, attends a lot of Clippers games, knows a lot of Clippers players, um, what are your feelings about having seen what's happened as the favorites for the championship and for a lot of people, including me, have been pushed to the absolute brink here by the Nuggets? I just rewatched that third quarter. Um, in the beginning of fourth, just to see the anatomy of what went wrong during that huge Denver run. And it's kind of weird, right? There's some bad decisions. Like, like Paul George, when you draw Jamal Murray, you don't need to hunt for a foul. Just attack the man, right? Like there's some Lou Williams tunnel vision. Let me go one on four in the half court. Uh, but by and large, it, it's really strange. Like Kawhi misses a couple like rimmers at, at, at point blank range, uh, Jermichael Green, a wide open corner three he's been making at, at, at regular. Ten straight shots. At one right. Point. Like, and it's just so, it, it's just one of those, you know, I think it's one of those Twilight Zone things. I mean, my advice is hey, guys, Denver Nuggets are among the surviving teams, probably the least capable by a huge margin of defending the pick and roll. You have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You also have Lou Williams and Montrez uh, Harrell, who's an incredible combination in that capacity. Why don't you just attack them in the pick and roll? Like this isn't brain surgery. Teams that have beaten Denver have done it in a very specific way. Um, the defense wasn't terrible today. Uh, even in the second half, it wasn't terrible. I mean, Jokic <laughs> made some insane shots. Um, I mean, is it time to panic? Well, insofar as, yeah, you now have an elimination game. I want to say this isn't brain surgery. And maybe that's just sort of the story of the season. Like we've been looking at this team and, and you know, on paper – Look at the personnel. It makes all the sense in the world. They should succeed. Um, they are better than this team, at least by perception. And yet, you know, we haven't seen it work for like three straight weeks ever. 
because and that's always been my thing, which is back when people are like, hey, you, you pick the Clippers. I'm like, I don't know. Like they could be a 71 win team for all I know. They could be a 48 win team for all I know. The personnel suggests they're closer to the form louder than the former. But like, have we seen it's very unusual to get it to this point and this close to a conference final and be able to say, hey, we've only really seen this group together for like 11 games in a row. And that's sort of the great unknown. Like, was what we saw today kind of their DNA? Or was it just, hey, 11 straight misses or 10 straight misses, seven of which were totally decent and weird? Um, I'm having uh, trouble kind of figuring that out other than why don't you attack this team in the pick and roll, which is where they're most vulnerable, which you did not do at the regularity you probably should have. Let me read a quote from Mike Malone, who is one of the best quoted coaches in the league. Um, Indeed. He says some great stuff. He's, you know, he's, he's not in a high profile market. And I mean, this game, to show you where the NBA feels about this game, they, they played it at what, 10 a.m. Five this morning in Los Angeles. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, to get out of the way of the NFL. I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, they're not going to deal with the NFL on the opening day, but I mean, you know, that's what it tells you. Uh, but here's what Mike Malone said. Um, you know, we find it funny that the narratives, oh, the Nuggets are a cute team. What a good story. We're second, you know, we were second in the West last year. We were a possession away from going to the Western Conference Finals. Most of this year, we were number two seed in the West until after the All-Star break when we lost hold of it. I think it comes down to a tremendous belief and confidence in who we are and what we're about and what we're trying to accomplish. So, Pelton, is this about the Clippers underachieving or is this about the nuggets achieving i think it's always a combination of both but uh you know in this particular scenario one of the concerns we talked about this in the first round that a lot of people had is okay team goes down three one they're looking at the opportunity to go home and see their families which is a little different now that families are allowed on the nba campus can i tell you that i i kind of reject that concept there's just way too much money effort I mean, the, the Rockets obviously felt that I don't think they felt they could come back on the Lakers, but there's way too much involved for these guys to, you know, for, for the most part to want to go home to their families. I'm not saying that they don't want to go home, but the idea of letting go of the rope, I just don't think that's a, that's a common NBA thing that happens, uh, even though people do you know, subscribe, you know, and it's different by the way, from one, two, three Cancun, when your season is over and you're not making the playoffs, I'm talking about guys who have lots of jobs, money, time invested in something, but I'm sorry to, to steal your thunder there. I don't know. There was a pretty one, two, three Cancun by the Rockets in the playoffs a few years ago, right? The, uh, the non-celebration on the game four winner where they uh, extended the series to game five against golden state in the opening round though, the one year they were the eight seed, but I, I mean, it, the Nuggets deserve a tremendous amount of credit because they it, have never given up. The you know not in that Utah series when they were down three one, not again in this series down three one, not when they've been down big margins in the first halves of these games. At times in the second half, they just continue to fight and do what they do and have been remarkably successful. And I, I would draw a distinction. If I'm quibbling with Michael Malone, I would draw a distinction between what they're doing in this series and what they did last year, because last year, I think we acknowledged that 
the two best teams in the Western Conference were on one side of the bracket in Houston and Golden State, and someone else was going to make it. There was a bit of a power void on the other side, and you know we saw the fact that Portland made the conference finals after they were hit by a number of injuries did not necessarily translate them into them being a contending team this year. And you know for much of this year they had a worse point differential than not only the Clippers who were behind them you know at times in the standings but also like three other teams in the western conference who are long since eliminated so i i think the nuggets have to some degree to a great degree overachieved but uh if i'm going to take issue with something kevin said he pointed out that the clippers have uh have lou williams and montrez harrell as a pick and roll duo and i don't think they have montrez harrell at least the montrez harrell that we thought of that we voted six man award winner after the time he missed due to the death of his grandmother, he just has not been the same player. And it's been an extraordinary problem for the Clippers. Okay. So in this, yeah, I, I know. I, I don't know if you're going with numbers, but I am. Yeah. You, you have them too. Well, I don't know if I've got the same numbers. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> something. Um, Doc Rivers cannot use the sixth man of not his sixth man, the sixth man of the year. He can, he is not using him as a sixth man right now. First big man off the bench in Sunday's game was Jermichael Green. Okay? And I'll give you space to use your numbers here in a second, but I'll just give you some basic ones first. He's not sixth man of the year because he's a great defender, although he is versatile defensively. Mm. That's one of the reasons why he's so he's valued. Yes, he's, he's consistently mediocre against lots of different sized opponents. <laughs> However... He is elite offense. I don't mean that as a knock. The guy is undersized. Right. But I'm just saying, like, Jokic scoring on him, it's not like, you know, Jokic is is damn good. Jokic scores on everybody. Harrell is averaging 10 points a game less in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. He was averaging 20 in the regular season. He's averaging less than 10 right now. And by the way, Lou Williams is averaging five points less a game. Put that together, that's 15 points. And neither and Lou obviously is not a good defender. The reason they're so good, the reason they finish in the top three of uh uh you know six man is because between them the Clippers could count on uh 35 to 40 points a game. Right now they're getting uh about 20 or 25, and that is making a, a big difference. But he, even Doc has not been he's just reduced his minutes and reduced his minutes. He went to Jermichael Green before Montrez today. But Trez still played 15 minutes and the Clippers were outscored by 19 points in those minutes in a game that they lost by ultimately by 13. They didn't end up that positive with him on the bench. Kevin, it's even worse than that. In game five, in the second half, Jokic and Harrell were on the court together for five minutes against each other. Five minutes, Harrell on Jokic. The Nuggets outscored the Clippers in those five minutes by 18 points today it happened for four minutes because doc tightened the leash even more today the nuggets outscored them by 12 points so in nine court minutes i know i know and doc has pushed back against the sample size thing um and he's pushed back against the the plus minus is all about man on man i get that i'm not i'm not denying that in, in nine minutes in the two second halves, it's minus 30 for the Clippers with Harrell dealing with Jokic. Um, Harrell is, Jokic is shooting 64% in this series with Montrez Harrell as his primary defender. Against Zubac, Ivica Zubac, he's shooting 49%, which is still pretty good. 
Uh, but he's, as you to, to your point, uh, Pelton, he's he it's it's getting hard to play the sixth man of the year, at least right in this exact moment in time. I mean, I understand why he's continued to play. You're hoping that he's going to play his way back into what we saw from him throughout the regular season and and to a slightly lesser degree in past regular seasons. He's also uh, an impending free agent. So there's some important implications, I think, if you take him out of the rotation. But you have no margin for error left. I I think they have to consider whether they can get 48 minutes out of Zubats and Jamichael Green in Game 7. When they go to that pick and roll and and Jokic spins out of it, no matter what coverage they're in, whether he's picking up Murray, Jamal Murray, or he's picking up, he's got to scramble back. He's out of position. He's just not able to get to position, and Jokic is making him pay for it. Well, look, I I prefer Zubats. They're increasingly preferring Zubats. It gives the defense structure. It gives the offense structure. And by the way, I say this as someone entirely comfortable with pure small ball. I have no problem with a four- at center over a five, I just I prefer this particular five over this particular four with this particular team against this particular opponent, right? And it is it it provides their defense structure. You don't like you know there were all sorts of coverage issues against Dallas. Uh, they they sort of they were switching at, at will, uh, smalls and smalls, but then they were protecting Lou, and and they finally got the hang of it in those last two games. And I and I just think again I. I like Zubac because, ironically, I mean, you can you can actually do more with him, even though, you know, Harrell, at least by sight, is a more, you know, versatile, as you say, at least on, but, but by size and, and, and feet, a more versatile defender, except that he's not really. Um, but I'm not saying I'm hopeful on the Clippers' behalf. I still think the fundamentals of this series support the Clippers, but now we're down to one game, so who cares? One thing I'm going to say. I've been. I've thought that the Clippers were the best team in the league for, I've said for a year now. Um, I, I've talked in recent podcasts about how their performance has made me wonder if this is all there is. I think I've said that is this is all there is. Um, Kevin Arnovitz, Doc Rivers lost a three-one series in 2015 to the Houston Rockets. Now, somebody brushed against this earlier this week, and Doc slammed it shut. As I understand. Um, you know, let me bring up your worst performance as a coach and, uh, and, 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 and compare it to today. Um, and Doc said this is completely different. Um, and he's right. It's a completely different team, completely different scenario. But if I was Doc Rivers, I would not want two, three, one losses on my resume. And sure as hell not with this team that is directly built to compete for a championship now. I mean, in Doc's defense, I would say resume is probably not the biggest of my concern. I mean, you just don't want to lose because you don't want to lose. Okay. He, I, don't, I, I, I think they're But, but also bad news, he already has a second 3-1 loss in Orlando in the first round against Detroit. The, the famous wow. Tracy McGrady, it feels so good to finally get out of the first round. Yes. Uh, okay. Excellent point, Machine. You you did deliver that. Um, that was like in 2002, I think, or 2003. Um I don't know if Doc was the same coach then, but fair, but fair point. Uh, I'm sure he'd love to have you bring that up <laughs> as well. I mean, I'd say I don't feel like he coached poorly in 2015. I think that was 
just one of the all-time extreme examples of a team running out of gas and just getting open shots and not being able to make them. I mean, the that's thing, nothing things- like Kevin, as you know, the two worst three, two of the three worst three right. players in the history of the game. Yeah, mean, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer going nights. I mean, it was it was just completely bizarre. Well, this is trending towards the bizarre. Um. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, um, if the Clippers lose that series, there's going to be a lot of fallout. I'm not saying they're breaking up the team or anything. I'm just saying that that is not something that was accounted for by anyone. But, and you and I used to have this argument about like the wolves, like there's going to be, you know, if it didn't work. But I would actually say that relative to any other team losing, other than they probably don't sign Harrell and they probably don't anyway, to be honest. Oh, uh, um, no, I think they, 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 they're going to keep them. It's just a matter of how much. No, no, but I'm saying I, I just don't like, what is the fallout exactly? I mean, I think they run it back. I don't, I don't think that there's yeah. other than obviously Morris is. Kevin, it, would be rental. His, it would be an historic disappointment. Sure. And, and the result is they come back next year and try to erase a historical disappointment. I mean, the fallout uh, okay. is. Uh, okay. Okay. In a market, fortunately, you, they don't really care about. Hawaii and Paul George have one year left on their contracts. That's what I, <laughs> let's just point that out. I mean, if nobody's talking about that. That will get pointed out if they lose this game. All right. Everybody's talking about Giannis. That's going to get pointed out if they lose this game. That's going to be part of the fallout. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. I want to talk about the Rockets. Uh, Mike D'Antoni uh, announces that he is not coming back. Um, Woj reports that he's a candidate in Philadelphia. I suspect, I, I do not know for sure, but I suspect this is, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me uh, maneuver. I don't think he's got a job in his pocket, although I've been wrong before, but that is not my feel. Um, I do think he also would be a potential candidate in um, in New Orleans, David Griffin, was with him in Phoenix together, uh, depending on what happens with New Orleans candidates. Um, Pelton, you wrote a piece about what's next for the Rockets. So let me ask you, what's next for the Rockets? <laughs> Probably a lot of more of the same. I mean, when you look at the uh, the composition of this roster and and their salary cap position, I mean, this is a team that is already next season committed a minimum of $129 million to a you know, the six players that they have under guaranteed contract next season, they're going to be pushing up against the luxury tax just to bring back this group. They have traded their first round pick as they've done for five years in a row. And like they keep have kept pushing chips in to go all in and it has not resulted in what they've wanted. And at some point you run out of chips to keep pushing in. But also it's a roster where, you know, with Philly, I think you could make a similar argument where, okay, They've got Al Horford. They're they're probably stuck with him for some period of time and Tobias Harris. And you want to figure out what works with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So let's change the coach. But there you can change some stuff stylistically. I'm not sure how much you can do stylistically in Houston because their 
their roster is set up to play a certain way on offense and defense. And Mike D'Antoni started playing that way, even though it wasn't his natural philosophy. I don't know what a new coach can do differently. Yeah, Arnovitz, they have um, $121 or so million dollars committed to their essentially their starting lineup. Um, and they have no coach now. Uh, right now, next year's salary cap is completely in flux. We don't know if there's going to be a luxury tax or at all, but they're already approaching the tax um, without using the mid-level exception, which they're so thin, it's going to be difficult not to use it. But, you know, Tillman Fertitta is having personal financial problems. I know that saying this gets everybody in Houston angry because he he insists that he doesn't. But, um, okay, uh, what do you think the Rockets do from here? I mean, you said it. I mean, they're, they're pretty locked. Um, I mean, look, it, it, they're they're locked with some really good players, and, and that's the good news. I mean, I, I think you know, Covington's on a value contract, I believe. I mean, Tucker has another year at, what, eight? Um, I mean, I was going to say House is, is a real bargain. We'll, we'll see how that plays. Um, and, and obviously Harden. It's, I mean, I'm with Kevin in the sense that they've, they've wed themselves to this philosophy. I don't think it's a terrible one. Uh, I mean, I think there's some things to figure out. I mean, you're going to have to figure out size relative to stretch. I think, you know, there'll be some interesting candidates for that job. I mean, Ty Lue has mentioned, I think Chris Finch is going to be a really interesting candidate. He sort of came up in the Houston. Uh, he was an you know, assistant go, with the yeah. Pelicans last year. Right. I mean, he, he was assistant for five years in, in, in Houston prior to that, kind of grew up in the Rio Grande. Hey, let's just run it out of the gym. So it, it's a very kind of similar small ball. I mean, obviously much faster pace than what they do now. Um, but, you know, he'll be an interesting candidate. Uh, I don't know if there's a hell of a lot to do. I mean, Daryl Morey has typically been able to pull rabbits. And uh, to the extent that you can you can turn over a roster, I mean, I think they've proved that, you know, there are – seventh, eighth, and ninth, and tenth men in this league that you can get um, for a song, their reclamation projects that that work. I mean, Ben McLemore thought was a really interesting uh, and good story. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would have more faith in them to mine the bargain, Ben, and come up with something. But you're right. I mean, you know, losing Capella, and I, I supported the trade, um, you know, leaves them without a pick and roll option. And I think that's just kind of what I'd love to see is, can you get a four- who provides stretch and can just finish off a pick and roll. I mean, I think that takes a lot of pressure off Harden. If you, if you, you know, if you kept Westbrook, you know, for whatever reason, he wasn't part of that deal. I, I think, you know, that, that gives another option. They just don't have someone who can roll and finish. I mean, that's not Tucker. That's not Covington. Um, you know, you can do small smalls all day, but at a certain point you have to have something that approximates a big, even a quasi big, like the ones they've had, who can actually do that as well. So Nate Jones, who, um, uh, I don't know if I want to call him one of Damian Lillard's agents. I mean, he's, I guess that's true, but he's, Damian Lillard's like confidant, very smart about basketball. We'll talk about other teams and other players. Even sometimes talks about Dame, but um, saves that a little bit, obviously. But um, a very good follow, an informational, flop provoking and informational follow on Twitter. He made an interesting suggestion over the weekend um, where he wondered if, Swapping Russell Westbrook for Blake Griffin would be something that would be feasible and possible. Um, it's an interesting concept. I mean, they've already traded Russell Westbrook, one of the the biggest 
possibly dangerous contracts in the league for Chris Paul, who had that designation. And now after another knee injury, um, that is where Blake Griffin is in Detroit. Detroit really badly wants to make the playoffs uh, next year. They have a whole bunch of salary cap space. I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. Um, but Blake has two years and about 75 or 78 million left on his contract. Um, I think Russ has three years left, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, yeah. So it's a year longer. I'd also point out that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, uh, the new general manager in uh, in Detroit is Troy Weaver, who was with Russ for years, um, has a very good relationship with him in Oklahoma City. Uh, to be clear, I'm not reporting anything. I'm just talking about a, a, an interesting concept that was raised. If you're going to make a, a big trade involving Russell Westbrook, there's only certain players you can trade for. This potentially would be one of them. Blake is Blake can play small ball center. Um, I think, I don't, I mean, you know, physically, I don't know where he's at. That would be a, a factor, but, um, Pelton, is this, you know, is this the type of thing that they could think about? Is that, you know, or, or, or would it take something that really radical to, uh, to really make a difference in what they're doing or even would it even make a difference? I mean, I think it depends which Blake Griffin you're getting. I mean, if you're talking about the Blake Griffin of two years ago, then yeah, absolutely. He was great as Detroit did make the playoffs that year before, you know, he uh, he was injured, I guess, on the eve of them and, and limited throughout that series. But, you know, this most recent season, he was a shell of himself before he underwent the, the season-ending surgery. And if he's that kind of player going forward, then... You know, I, I think you're almost compounding your problems by by adding him. I mean, you know, you, you have a good uh, read on Blake Arnovitz. Do you think that that's something that's even that's even worth discussing? All right. So, so the pros, if you're Houston, is it's there's one year. It's a one year shorter term with with Blake than with Russell. Um, number two, it kind of pursuant to my previous remarks, right? Like Blake is an offensive facet they could really use. The fact that you know. This last season or the season prior to this one, he was a greater than 36% shooter from three. Like he is, he's not going to give you rim protection. Um, but, but he's a guy who just would snugly fit into that system. Um, you know, get him out in the open floor. It, it would, it, it would give them a little more pace, which, which I think Westbrook did for much of the year. Um, he's a better shooter than Westbrook. The problem is the health, right? And I, and I think it's, it's a big gamble. And because you're already, as you said, Brian, Depth is going to be an issue. Uh, it, it just it's just a fact when you have that top heavy of a roster. Um, it already is. But if worse comes to worse, you get out of your bad contract a year earlier, um, which is not nothing. I mean that that is that is not nothing. And you know you have a finisher for Harden, um, which right now you really don't. Um, one of the you know it's funny. Oh, he he does more ISO than pick and roll. Well, yeah. I mean, who's rolling? You know, like like I mean, that was sort of the thing. I mean, you did lose that sort of vertical spacing when you lost Capella. Again, I liked the trade. Um, also, I just like I like mad science in general, and this was mad science. Uh, but but you lost that sort of vertical spacing that somebody like Blake, Blake Griffin could offer you. Oh, you know, I mean, you know, who knows where he's at physically? I mean. It's just hard to know. Um, he did he did shoot last year before this injury plague season. Last year he did shoot thirty six percent 
on three pointers. He took seven a game. Um, that's a that's a, a percentage number that uh, would be interesting to Houston. They probably even would find where he's even more efficient and put him exactly in those positions. Um, he made the All Star team two years ago for the first time. Let's see, one, two, three, four, four years. Um, so, I you know I I don't know what much they can do. I also you know, there's been some speculation about Daryl Morey's uh, tenure there. I, I have, I mean, let's just be honest here. The The Rockets are in a decline. Two years ago, they were in game seven um, of the conference finals. You know, had Chris Paul not hurt his hamstring, they might have won the championship that year. We will not know. Last year, they went out in the second round in a, in a 4-2 loss. Um, you know, they were 60 some win team i think two years ago last year i think they were in the 50s um went out in six to the to the warriors and sort of anemically because um durant got hurt and they had a a great opportunity to win game five it was two two they had great opportunity to win game five after durant got hurt they did not take advantage of that and then in game six they were home and Steph Curry was miserable in the first half of that game, going scoreless. And they were unable to win that game. And that's where they traded Chris Paul. And then this year, you know, they are on, even though they switched gears a little bit in midseason, they were on a, a pace to win in the high 40s. Um, and they get, you know, 4-1, not super competitive against the Lakers. I mean, they're going the wrong direction. And now their coach has walked. Um, they're... They're they're hemmed in to their their team, uh, even though Daryl has shown uh, a good track record of being able to turn the roster over and continuing to build. Um, you know, you would certainly bet on Daryl continuing to to figure out ways to make them better. But it's not a great trend, and you know their owner has some level of financial distress. Um, he thinks he's just fine, but there's other people that don't believe that. Um, it's not, it's not exactly, uh, the most rosy picture. Um, Pelton, where in the future power rankings are the Rockets actually right now? I can't remember even when the last time we did that were, but, uh, I think they're declining. I mean, the other thing you didn't mention is they have the oldest rotation in the league when you rate by minutes play. So that on top of everything else is, you know, an indication of the fact that they're trending in the wrong direction right now. I'm not sure a Blake Griffin trade would help reverse that situation, but it would <laughs> it would shake things up a little bit. I don't know. It's it was an interesting concept. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com. Or just stop by. All right. Speaking of uh, shaking things up a little bit, um, it's been an, it's been an interesting time for the for the Bucks. Uh, I feel this one because I've covered closely several teams that are in this exact situation, and I know the way the fans feel. I know the stress the organization feels. Um, it's going to be a rocky next year uh whatever the next year looks like in the nba with whatever it starts and whatever it happens um 
Chris Haynes of Yahoo reported um, over the weekend that Giannis met with Mark Lazary, the one of the Bucks owners. He's he's right now the controlling owner. The Bucks ownership has a rotating. Um, that's a whole nother story for a different day, but they're, they've got three owners and the control of the team, the controlling owner title rotates every five years. Mark, now Mark Lazary is in control. He met with him. I don't know if this was a meeting with Giannis or the meeting with Giannis. Um, this is, you know, Arnovitz, there are two questions. I think we know the answer to them, but we don't, I'm not sure. But there are two big questions that will come out of the meeting with Giannis, whether it took place or not. I don't know. One is a question Giannis has to answer, and the other one is a question that the Bucks have to answer. The question that Giannis has to answer is, will you extend your contract this offseason? Um, my, my belief is that the answer is no. He will not do that. Uh, then, if the answer is no, uh, then the Bucks ownership has to ask a question about whether they want to roll the dice with him or they want to explore their options. My feel in discussing this with folks there is that they're keeping honest. They do not want to lose him and they will play it out. Um, but this is a tough thing and there's a whole art to how you approach this, um, this conversation, Arnovitz, and it's dicey. There's a there's a strategic thing. There's a transference of power. There's, you know, saving face. There's a lot at play here, and you have to really rely on the relationship that you have with the player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there. What, what's unique about Giannis? I, I think is a question when you kind of construct a pitch. And one of the things I'm pretty certain of is is he feels a real sense of ownership, and I, I don't mean in terms of of power, but but. The, you know, I, I I heard something interesting when I was doing a kind of a report a couple weeks ago, and and about kind of Giannis as superstar and his persona and what will it look like, and you know he has this Duncan esque humility. Uh, he's not going to preen. Uh, he's not as truculent with the press that Duncan was, but but he also is allergic to it. And you know, a person said to me very close to him is it was unseemly for him. It would be unseemly for him to preen as the face of the league when he hasn't won anything. That is his personal feeling. Um, and so I think the fact that he feels so I love much- Arnovitz for usage of the of verbs like preen, by the way, but keep going. I'm sorry. Like the fact that he burdens so much personal responsibility. Um, I'm not suggesting that he will blame himself necessarily for these failures, but I think correcting the failures is something he perceives to be his responsibility. Um, and I think appealing to him, the, I don't want to say the ownership he's been given, but I, I think the sort of, the fact that the team has molded itself in his image temperamentally uh, in terms of work ethic. I mean, what was so heartbreaking, Brian, about this season for them is that was the happiest place on earth. They had a no a-holes policy and they really followed it. Like that, that, that team went to work happy they believed in what they were doing. Um, they believed in each other's talents. There was a lot of trust. And so I think it makes it, this is not one of those lob city situations, right? I mean, where the, the sum of the parts is less, but I, I think appealing to that for him, like, Hey, this is your project. Um, and we want to see it through with you. We're going to get you help. 
you know, Giannis and four but, shooters. But, but let me just say, this yeah. is where the delicacy of the meeting comes because you, you ask him, uh, Hey, do you, do you have an opinion on the coach? You know, do you want to play for Mike Budenholzer and him giving an answer? So I'm talking about the strategy, you know, him giving an answer puts him in an awkward position because, right. you know, you don't want him to be passing judgment, but the, what the bucks want, I can't say for sure what they what they want, but in a vacuum, what a team wants is they wants the player to take ownership of decisions right. so that he remains invested. So it's a, a, it's a line to walk about taking ownership in, in decisions so that you're invested in the future, but also leaving your options open without offending. Right. But here's the other problem. Giannis is not a guy who wants that responsibility. His general posture is you're the general manager. You're the basketball operations. That's your job. Um, and, and I think that is more his temperament. I think it speaks to the humility. I think it speaks to, hey, this is my portfolio over here. Like I work every single day. I do nothing but other than spend time with my family, my entire focus is, is on how do I become a better basketball player? And I love that responsibility and I take it seriously. Your responsibility, basketball operations, is to collect the best talent to help facilitate that improvement and actualizing that talent. And he's someone who is going to trust, like the respect you get from him is by doing your job really well, not by saying, Oh, Giannis on bended knee. What do you want? Do you want to play? You know, like I think he wants strong basketball operations people to make strong decisions. And if you do, he will totally entrust you to the process. But he's not the kind of guy. This is not a LeBron. This is not a guy who wants to have a ton of input and go get this guy, go get that guy. I mean, typically and traditionally he has it. Now, maybe that changes after this most recent debacle. But traditionally that has been sort of his posture. And that's a tough posture for the team to be in because right. it means that they can't rely. And by the way, that I think is the correct posture to take. I don't think he should be opining on what should happen if there's if there's a coaching decision. And by the way, I, it's my feel. It is my feel. I want to be careful how I say that. It is my feel that the Bucks um, want to keep Bud despite what's happened in the playoffs and despite some frustration with his uh, strategy. I think they believe in the bond between him and Giannis and they believe that, that they're, that they can just get better, but you know, it is, it's an awkward situation. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hitch strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on direct TV. That means direct TV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes. Stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. 
every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So what can the Bucks do? Now, I have talked about the possibility of a Chris Paul trade, and I think it's a fun conversation. It is my feel, again, it is my feel that that is not something that the Bucks are super interested in at this time. Doesn't mean that it can't change. Um, and, you know, part of it is, you talked about the policy that they have there. Maybe that doesn't, maybe his profile doesn't fit with what he would bring. Um, although you could make the argument that maybe they need some of that. But I think Pelton, what they need is they need some some perimeter playmaking to help take the pressure off Giannis and be able to find some ways to get some buckets. Um, their cupboard is not bare in terms of trade assets. They actually have an, an extra first-round pick or a first-round pick in this year's draft from Indiana. Uh, and they have some expiring contracts on their roster. Um, Robin Lopez's expiring contract. Um, DJ Wilson is expiring contract. Uh, you know, they have Eric Bledsoe potentially, but when it comes to a Bledsoe trade, um, if you're going to move a guy like Eric Bledsoe, what you get back, the guy's got to be as good or better. If you're going to trade a guy like that, you have to really try to do it in an upgrade. But we are coming to a time where there could be some teams who want to get some payroll off their books. Um, what what could be done uh, Pelton, you know, what are their, what do you think their options are if they want to upgrade this roster and not make a huge overhaul to what they're doing? You know, it's interesting. The first place I go when I think about what the Bucks should do this off season is to figure out a way to build their second unit around switching. Like that's never going to be a realistic option with Brook Lopez is your center. They built the league's best defense around Brick Lopez's particular skills and dropping him. But we saw that there are matchups in the playoffs that can create issues for him. And I think you need to have that ability to switch in your back pocket come playoff time. And to me, that means that, you know, uh, it's funny that we call it the happiest place on earth because the, the Lopez brothers really love the happiest places on earth, apparently, between the Bucks and uh, the in Disney World. Uh, but I think Robin Lopez really needs to go he's got a player option for next season if he picks that up he'd be the person in particular along with dj wilson you know potentially although he could maybe fill that switching role that i'd be looking to trade and make sure i've got you know maybe ideally a combo four or five someone like what marvin williams was for them this year that i can do that all season long switch with that second unit know i can do that going into the playoffs that's the first thing i would try to do you know what's an interesting option to me uh, for a perimeter player, Arnovitz, especially if the if the Thunder are indeed willing to sort of break down, would be Dennis Schroeder. I think he'd be good for them. But I don't know where Schroeder and Bud left it in Atlanta. Um, well, it's a good question. I know Schroeder was a favorite there. I mean, I, I know that early on, um, even middle on, that he had this sort of edge that Bud demands from point guards. Um, but that is an interesting option. I mean, Shooter's got what? I mean, one year, it, it kind of matches with uh, I guess a few couple million shorter than uh, Bledsoe. Well, Bledsoe's got three and forty something. Yeah, I think the third is non guaranteed. But yeah, um, they also your Ursan Ilyasova. Is that is that a is that a non guaranteed year, Pelton? Off the top of my non guaranteed through two days after the NBA draft, which was well worded on that part since. 
God knows when the NBA draft is going to be at right. this point. Well, the thing about it is if you have a non-guaranteed contract and his is $7 million, you don't, you count as, you only count as the guaranteed portion in a trade. Cor- correct. So, until, or unless they pick that up. Because, they have to. Right. They could pick it up and it could become a trade piece. Now, let me just say that, you know, one of the other things that, that Milwaukee could do if they are in the spending money business, which, you know, I would advise them to be in that spending money business with Giannis. Um, I'm not saying that they're gonna they're gonna uh, spend their way through their problems, um, but uh, if they are in the spend the money, if they are, are willing to, to do this, it brings them into free agency uh, this year because especially if they have some players who because they you know they have the pick, um, they have some extra picks that they got in uh, in the Brogdon trade. Um, they potentially could go after a guy uh, in in free agency, you know, some sort of player who could help them. I don't, I don't know who that necessarily would be. Um, I don't think they can get on the Fred Van Vliet game, but they could use those pieces in a, as part of a sign and trade, um, depending on how aggressive that they want to be, Pelton. Yeah, that one might be tough because then you'd trigger the hard caps. There's only so much salary you could add. You'd have to probably send salary back or divert it to a third team. But uh, that would be a potential option, yeah. Um, but it's just they've got um, they've got a set of circumstances. And, um, I, you know, Arnovich, do you think – what do you think Bledsoe's value is in the league right now, knowing that he's got – Two more fully guaranteed and one partial guaranteed year. It's it's somewhere in the neighborhood of forty something million still guaranteed. Right, sixteen eight next year, uh, eighteen one the following year. You know, I was having this conversation, and I I think, you know, it's funny when he came up with Los Angeles within the Clippers. You know, he played the two a lot next to Chris Paul, and not always, but but he was thought of as a guy who could potentially be a wing insofar as he's got r- incredible strength and incredible length. And a guy who can truly guard twos and threes, and it's not a reach at all. And you see the amount of ball pressure he puts. I mean, he's just a he's a he's an all NBA, literally an all NBA defender. And I think there are teams that would look at that talent. He's still reasonably young. Um, that's not a terrible contract whatsoever. And say, okay, he's missed cast trying to elevate a team to a conference finals with one possession and the ball in his hands. Not the guy you want. Not casted for that particular role. You know what he is cast for? A really knock, like a, a just shut down defender on the wing who can, by the way, you know, work you off the dribble now and then. You know, he's not terrible at, you know, sort of getting to the rim against against certain defenders. I mean, he's got a lot of assets. It's just one of those things where probably not your floor general in these situations, but extremely useful in a million other capacities. And so I think there's value. I think there are plenty of teams that would look at, hey, two years who, who you know, can't, there, there aren't a hell of a lot of free agents out there this year. If he became available, it's a reasonable contract. I think he's got value. Yeah, but remember, again, you can't just, you got to trade him for something that's going to help the Bucks win yes. and keep Giannis Antetokounmpo when you, uh, when you think about that. But um, if only there was a guard who was a combo <laughs> guard really good knockdown three-point <laughs> shooter, could work off the dribble, get to the hole, 50, 50, 40, and really defend three positions. Um, you know, if only that player were available to the Bucks, that could really help Brian Windhorst. You know, it's it's a tough it's it's a tough position to put the Bucks in because they signed 
Chris Middleton to a five-year, $160 million deal, right? They had signed Eric Bledsoe to that extension that we talked about, which kicks in next year. Um, they hey, had... I hear you, and I feel for them, Brian. I think it was maybe an either-or earlier on. Right. They signed uh, Brooke Lopez to— Do you want to tell listeners what we're talking about when I'm being snide and, and sort of sarcastic here? I was just going over. I, I just hold I on. I was saying I was talking about Malcolm Brockton. Yes, Malcolm Brockton. Right. Yes, I, was, right. I just wanted to let listeners, not everybody, yeah. can speak. I'm, I'm sure that if you've gotten this far in the podcast, I'm sure you. Yeah. Know. <laughs> if you're this far, you know. They signed Brooke Lopez to a four-year, like fifty million dollar contract. Okay, they signed George Hill to like a three-year. I don't think it's not all guaranteed. Like a, like a, it, I think it's two and twenty is guaranteed in the third year. I mean, it it's not necessarily fair to say that the bucks didn't spend <laughs> that's a oh, no, i'm not suggesting they didn't spend no, no, right i'm no, saying that no. they it's player evaluation and i know there's medical there and look i think they've done a great job i really do i i honestly believe it i i i think again you just named a lot of really good deals i'm not i'm, I'm being a little snide i just oh so many times as someone who kind of i don't say i pull for them but i i really want to see them succeed i guess i pull for them i was just like god that's a skill set we could use right now you know if i if you were the Milwaukee. i mean i mean pelham do you think if they had malcolm brogdon that they would have beat the heat i'm not sure they would have uh so no i mean i don't think it's that simple but it is kevin said like you look at what they needed in that series Brogdon sure did offer a lot of it. And even though they did did, you know, they they certainly weren't playing this on the cheap, they also weren't spending into the luxury tax. And I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, I potentially someone like Giannis would notice. I mean, I I guess, you know, my thing with if I'm the Bucks front office is I want to do everything possible to know that look, if he does decide to leave, well, it wasn't because of what we did. I want to be like Nick Nurse sitting in a Prince tribute show in Las Vegas when Kawhi makes the decision to go to the Clippers and be like, okay, we did our part. Right. We just decided something else. And I don't feel like the Bucks can feel that way right now. It's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough time for them. Um, all right. Well, there's a lot more going on. I mean, we're going to have conference finals that we're going to be talking about. I mean, the Lakers, you know, we talked about the Rockets. The Lakers just drove a stake into them. It was a very impressive performance. Um, we didn't even talk about the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. There's a lot going on, but we will get to that uh, in the coming days for sure. Um, thank you to Kevin Arnovitz. Thank you to Kevin Pelton. Thank you to Troy Farkas back in Connecticut putting this together. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you soon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.